Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Thanks for having me on, man. So soon after the other one, too. I'm very flattered you had me right back. Well, 
Wes. Glad to have you back. I, I've been eagerly uh, looking forward to the show and chatting with you. You're a great man to chat with, and you shared so much in the. Uh, it's mutual, buddy. Well, thank you so much. But it, but you did. You shared so much in the previous conversation that we had together on air that uh, we wanted to have you back. We wanted to continue the discussion about how you make things funny because, you know, you have a unique perspective. I mean, being a stand-up comedian and an actor and, and you write and you do all these things that, that to have you uh, discuss this for uh, our listeners. And, and our listeners are people who are A-list listeners, well-advanced, well-entrenched in the industry, all the way to newbies. And then fans who, you know, have no desire to make anything but just love the love the business or love movies or love TV and love comedy. So uh, if, as we go forward discussing, you know, like, like how do you write in comedy? We, you and I were talking about this a little bit before about uh, writing comedy or writing serious and having, you know, the, the switch your brain back and forth. So I'll just throw us right in there. But first, before we do that, uh, let's catch up a little bit. How you been in the recent week for self? Uh, I've been uh, just chugging away. Got out for a few auditions, waiting to hear back on one that I, I'd like to really be a part of. And I uh, don't want to jinx it, but we'll see. And uh, I'm writing two projects. Awesome. Uh, one serious and one funny. So you got to sort of, I think the way I my system is I just wait till I'm kind of fed up with what I'm, it's like you can love chocolate up to a point and then your brain just goes click and now you're suddenly fed up with it. Your tongue switches priorities. <laughs> True. Your body has a way of knowing when that 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 one cup is full and spilling over, and it, it sort of makes you not want that taste anymore. And the same thing with your taste in things. You can burn out on a thing. Oh. And and I use the burnout as I rebel against the thing I'm working on and become serious, and then out of that sort of mental rebellion, create a good opposing force on the serious pages of the script and. Uh, then when I'm kind of getting bored or fed up with that, you can jump over and start joking about it, and now you're back into jokes again. you got to play little games with yourself sometimes to keep that kid in your life, because he's the one, you know, there's no child labor laws inside the artist. He's The kid's the one who pays all your bills. Right. And the adult is this hard candy shell you put around that M&M to protect that kid. He's the only one that'll come up with something new or funny or different. He's the only one that remembers to play. The grown-up signs checks, knows where the car keys are, takes, you know, uh, considers the needs of others, the things we call a grown-up, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you, you I, I don't think artists who've lost their kid are as good as the artists who still have the kid inside. I think that's just a rule. And that's why you'll see pictures of Picasso, really old, but just kind of goofing around like a kid. You know? Einstein just tootling around on a bike with his hair crazy, making the tongue face. You're right, you're right. You know, but, but truly brilliant people still have a kid. Jonathan Winters still has a kid. And you're gonna, you're the better artist if you also still have a kid. You're taught to be, be mature, grow up. And sometimes people tell me, you know, why don't you grow up? It's because I don't want to become you. That's why. <laughs> you don't know how to make anything new anymore. That scares the heck out of me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. That. Uh, no, I love the analogy, especially of the M and M. I think that's that's fantastic. And and then also, something occurred to me while you were speaking that. When I was a young actor, you know, I took this so seriously. I mean, it was art, it was serious, it was it was career, it was it was money, it was feeding, it was expression, it was all these things. And I don't know how many years ago it was. I was sitting around one day and I went, I was watching acting and it was, it was some serious drama. So it was some, you know, where there's a lot of action and, and like something like 24, you know, where they're going through the, you know, holding the gun, trying trying to avoid being killed, and doing a convincing job of it. And I and I, my brain just went. This actor is pretending that there's that there's fear on the other, you know, something to be afraid of on the other side. This is all we do is pretend, you know. And if we're lucky enough, we, we pretend and we get paid for it. But I, I remember when I was doing Willow, I had to run, run from the tennis ball on a stick. Mm-hmm. It's all I was all on blue screen. So you're absolutely right. You're in a setting where your imagination has to completely fill everything in. So, yeah, I, I happen to agree that I, I think uh, working in an environment where imagination 
is finally given permission, because it isn't given permission in many places in in our lives these days. Where is your imagination applauded? Unless you work at Apple or something, you know? Well, you know, the, the, the thought that also occurred to me, and again, while, while you're describing, you know, the process of Willow, is, is really, you know, the, the, the notion that I had was we pretend we're kids, and, and the better pretenders we are, like when we were children, but the better pretenders we are as actors or performers, yeah. uh, the more success we have. And, and while that's not always true, because there's plenty of great performers who never are successful, but, but the notion that... The, the more you can suspend, you know, we we go to acting class. We spend all this time really just trying to be a kid again, and and to let that loose and to unleash that imagination so that we can uh, fully immerse ourselves in whatever's going on as if it were real. You know, we're playing army in the sandbox essentially. We're playing uh, uh, cops and robbers or whatever. But we but but now we're adults, and it's just how how much we can throw ourselves into it and immerse ourselves into it that make it more believable for the audience. It, it should be no big thing, really, but it, for many of us, it's when you say that crust, that hard shell of the M&M, it's, it's sometimes hard for people to peel that back. We are trained in a work world. It's more of a, you know, if you want to use the computers, it's more of a PC Windows world than it is a Mac world. It's not supposed to be as intuitive. You're not supposed to run off and do your own crazy thing as much. You're supposed to go to this little box and keep doing these three things all day, every day for the rest of your foreseeable life. Right. And the part of you that dreams the bigger dream is supposed to just go click and go on hold to be happy, you know. Go to one box, make money to pay for another box. Drive another box to a box. And so... uh, but the imagination world where art is made is the whole it's the old, it's the other side of your head it's the right side of your head which jumps to your left hand and uh that's the one that makes something brand new and that's why i was talking this connects back to what we were talking before in the other uh show about improvisation and imagination uh-huh. are very closely linked because it's one makes the other so, uh, and I think uh, working on your improv skills forces your mind to open up the kit. Improv comes from the kit. You can be very sophisticated and be eloquent and use a lot of adult themes while you're improving, but somewhere inside that machinery, the furnace that drives it is a kid. Very cool. Very, very cool. And, and you know, I have long said, and I, I think this is, is this is so apropos for today, that comedians are really the, the, the new age philosophers of the world. They, they are able to take concepts and, and things that are truisms and generalizations and, and put them in sometimes new dressings and make them available to the masses in, in ways that might be more palatable than if you were sitting in church or sitting listening to something on the Internet or sitting or wherever you might be. And and uh, and, and, and listening to you, I, 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 it just reminds me of that because, you know, we, we're talking about um, getting inside and letting it out. Uh, yeah, let, give the kid permission to do more to run your your creativity keep a sense of play about it or you'll give it rules and and we are not qualified to give our kid rules in in creative terms in real life hey get away from the fountain get out of traffic that kind of a grown up to kid rule put it all there put it all into protecting him in the crazy dangerous world but don't mess with the creative kid he's a, roughly a hundred times smarter than you you are not quali- you're not qualified to tell them what to do because you don't know. You know, that's, that's an, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I tell my kids this all the time, and, and in my seminars and workshops I've done for, you know, 30 years, is the same thing. People would say, you know, I'm no good at this. And I say, you're no good at it yet, but you're also not qualified to make that judgment. Because Thank you. you a, that's right. You know, if you've ever done it before, you can't, you can't be the judge of whether you're doing it right or wrong or good or bad. You can, you, so just suspend everything. And go ahead and keep you know doing it, and learn, and you'll learn to do it uh, more easily. And you'll that's that's great advice, Rex. Yeah. 
You're good at giving that advice, because I think that's word for word the way it works. Well, I appreciate that. Hey, I got a couple questions from the chat room, and, and we're going to. I mean, this is, is, and I'm waiting for someone to elaborate. Let's see here. Yikes, pressure. So I'm going to ask the other question first. But uh, Chris, Christopher asked this question. He says, "I just finished watching Six Feet Under in its entirety on the DVD, and I noticed there was different writers directors for almost each episode. The cast was the strength longevity of the show. What was it like walking onto that set?" And uh, so you're asking me to to give my little six feet under story? I guess that's what he's asking. Yes, so uh, absolutely. It's a very, very uh, uh, professional, well run. You know, get those shots, but take the time to shoot it cinematically. Uh, but it'll be, I, I think. You know, the parts that need to be, let's get this up, let's get that going. When they say it's a loose set, you can still have enormous efficiency around you in the set. When they say loose set, it's how it's really kind of narrowed down to what the performer's experience is. They mostly mean that. Then there's times when the, you know, yeah, crew people had a horrible time on a set where the, the actors were still treated kind of luxuriously, and that isn't cool. I don't think anyone should be put through bad stuff when they're trying to make something. I don't think it makes anything good ever. I think it's a myth that mean, messed up people use to let their own personality traits out on a set no matter what. And then they say, no, it has a good effect when it doesn't. Uh, uh, I think a cool, smooth set like the one they had on Six Feet Under, you can still make magnificent art from it. And tension didn't bring a thing to the table. Uh, the, uh, the actors are... Uh, we're just hanging around and talking before the shot. We get to rehearse it a couple of times, you know. And uh, they'll shoot it a few times. And uh, they even let me kind of play with the eulogy at the end a little bit. It was an interesting, weird character I played in that guy. That guy was a blanked-out dude. (laughs) But at the end, he let me put a few jokes in. And so I got to write a little of my own uh, eulogy at the end. And I got the crowd. It was bad though because as the camera's craning up behind me, her coffin's behind me, and I, I forget the jokes I was putting in, but I was just saying weird stuff about what how everyone felt about her and everything. And a couple of people in the audience went <laughs> like that, and which you shouldn't have at the funeral. You know? <laughs> um, but once again, I don't remember everything I was saying because some of it was improv. Um, it's always good to bring a recorder with you, kids, when you're doing improv, because you might not, when you're moving at that speed forward, you may not have the recorder running, which is a different unit in your head. Remembering what you're doing in improv and doing it are two separate files you have to open at once. And sometimes it's better just to click the iPhone on and let it run, you know? Well, how do you do that? Or what, digital what if, recorder. What if you've just done a, a brilliant take and it's been... Improv, and you're in that moment, and they go, that was great. We got to do it again. There was a lighting problem or sound issue or whatever. Do it again. Just do exactly what you did. Are you are you present at that moment to recapitulate? Depending or? on how long the shtick is that you did. If it's a shorty, and uh, your brain is running at car crash speed, you know yeah. that hyper accelerated. That's why everything looks in slow motion speed. On the movie set, it's not as fast as a car crash, but it's faster than normal doop de doop de doo life. And so uh, when, it's, when it's going up at that high speed, you can start to take notes about what you're saying and run them, hold them alongside with what you're saying next in the flow. You might not catch every nuance, but when everyone's watching, generally you run both gadgets at once. And uh, sometimes you can go over to the, the script girl, and she'll give you a rough idea of what you said. Too. And they're they're so brilliant at, at catching every little nuance of continuity. People will do it too. And some, if, if you're with other comics, you know they recorded it. We're all competitively listening. Oh, that was good. I should have said that. You know. <laughs> Especially on dinner dinner for schmucks. We're all having fun there. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Do you want, do you want to share share a little bit from dinner with, from schmucks, dinner for schmucks? I uh, I wish they'd have put this gag in that I ran with Jeff 
Dunham, man. I, we we were goofing around, and he has this buxom bimbo dummy. Uh-huh. And uh, at the end, when the, the house is on fire and everyone's running out, we shot that kind of first. We went out of order. And so we are just feeling around what our gags were going to be. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. I didn't know my full character thing yet. I didn't know it was going to be. So I was, instead, I just started giving away jokes to other guys. So I, I got Jeff. But when I thought it would be funny, he brings the dummy out. She's like uh, laying in his arms because he's not working her from the back. And then, then set her on the ground and go on her like CPR going, don't you die on me now. And he breathes and then, no. Nah. And I pull him off. She's gone. Let her go, you know. <laughs> you, you have to see the movie. That's okay. Um yeah, I, I want to just tell you that while you've been talking, we've been getting notes like, you know, in the chat room, Rick's voice is very hot. Wow. And yes, Jeez. please, from the ladies. So, um, uh, Yeah, for, forward those on to me. Yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're making a, 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 an incredible impression here today, Rick, so that's awesome. Oh, I try to do impressions. This is great. Thanks. <laughs> cool. um, so the latest I, one I've been working on uh, is Morgan Freeman. He takes certain words and butter knives them out. I was just, he was on TV. I was like, working with Anyway, go ahead. Back back to the other idea. Yeah, well, that's, somebody, that's, that's how I spend my mornings, trying to come up with new impressions and things. Well, that's very cool. But one of the one of the people, and one of the people, I should say not, but one of the people um, did have a question that they wanted to ask, and then I think they got distracted um, from your hot. Oh, okay. Let's go back to it. What is it? The, the question was, and they said from the previous interview, so if you can spend your uh, fast-forward brain back to that, oh, hot, I'm melting, jeez, Rick. Um, it's, they said, um, let me get to it here. The last time Rick talked about how he took a word and worked from that, she would, I'd love to hear more about that process. So I asked them to her to elaborate. This is from Gaffer Girl, and she said, uh, didn't Rick talk about this as being his process for writing, starting with the word? And if yeah, here's here's the thing: when like sometimes when we're doing improvs, the person structuring the improvs, they'll give you ten funny things to do in the improv, and I'm going, if this is an improv, give me one simple thing to do. If I have to do your ten funny things, it's no longer an improv. It's an acting job with scripted beats. The more rules you give the improv, maybe at first you need to learn some structure, but after a certain point, now you're just carrying baggage full of things you won't need on the trip, and you're going ten times slower because of it. Uh, One word. Here's the funnel theory. The funnel theory is you give me one thing, I'll give you a hundred new things I did about it. You give me ten things to do, I'll give you roughly four things I did about everything. Because you gave me chaos uh, mm-hmm. that isn't mine. And it's like when you have someone who's nuts in your life, and now you're dealing with crap that isn't even your own crap. And it's someone else's baggage. Your improv is in your head, your world. And uh, it just makes life simpler. And, you know, look, everyone wants to be in control. Everyone wants to steer. I get it. But inherently, we are at our best when you trust your kids going, I got it. I got it. Stop giving me more to do. Stop fixing it. You don't know how. Just stay in your seat, you know. (laughs) Let the kid do it because the kid will. Um, One word... Is like a Zen point, a simple thing. Stop it. Unclutter. Remove because it, it's not your clutter. At least get to your clutter, and it won't if you add ten other rules to a thing like that. Rules belong in society and traffic and childcare and food preparation, but in improv, there should be a free. A, we should be free range animals. It's the only way to do it. At least at first, if you you got to be good to give this thing rules. 
and and most people can't you know and, and a lot of times the rules are just simple guidelines within which you can really boldly explore it's about exploration it's about what's next not what was it's like food i don't want a 5 year old meal under saran wrap sitting in my fridge that's an excellent point i i, I can't argue with that for sure and imp- improv is what America is. It was an improv. It's on paper now. Now there's new people trying to unimprovise it. But it was an amazing thing for a little while. Broke all the rules. Wrote You had to write new rules because people wait for a piece of paper. You can show them and they signed it. But... Uh, America was give me give me a location, <laughs> give me a location in the situation. Very cool. Well, hey Rick, we're uh, at that point where we almost have to take a break. So uh, let me take the break. We'll come back and, and talk on the other side of that. Uh, I'm enjoying this very much. As are me too. Uh, people in the chat room. Uh, but let me say that you're listening to Rex Sykes, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com, the official website of Rex Sykes Movie Beat. And uh, I want to thank you for listening live or archived and for helping spread the word. So if you're listening live today, please go ahead and make us a favorite, make us a fan, make us or become a fan, become a friend right there where you are. Uh, rate and review the shows, leave comments, because that always helps. Do the same when, when you uh, subscribe to the podcast or listen to the podcast. My upcoming guests are going to be David Spees and, and Phil Seneker. They're going to be talking. We're going to talk tomorrow about Kickstarter campaigns. They're uh, trying to crowdfund. They're uh, attempting a crowdfunding. They've got a few days left uh, for a short film that they're producing, and, and we want to explore the notion of crowdfunding and Kickstarter. Uh, so that'll be of interest. Ari Gross is coming back. He's going to talk about SAG and about uh, the different things he's doing. He's an actor. I, I love Ari having him on the show. John Keyes, director, but also a distributor. We'll be talking about distribution. Uh, Christopher Lockhart is the story editor at William Morris Endeavor, and uh, he'll be talking about what he does and, and his work as a producer. Helen McCready is coming up. She's a casting director, and so we're going to explore um, that aspect of your career as an actor with her or how you get into casting. Roberta Monroe will return. Uh, how Not to Make a Short Movie. She's the author and the workshop uh, provider for that. Straw Reisman is, Weisman, I'm sorry, is the producer who will be joining us. John Gaspard has uh, written Digital 101 uh, on filmmaking. And then Douglas Dave Stewart is going to come back for part three of his, uh, of his programs on, um, on screenwriting. He wrote Officer and a Gentleman, uh, Boy in a Plastic Bubble, Blue Lagoon, and, and many, many more. Uh, but go ahead and uh, call somebody up, tweet about us, uh, retweet about us right now if you enjoy this show and other shows and 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 do continue to help spread the word and we thank you so much for being here and we're here today live with uh mr rick overton rick i wanted to ask uh because i i made the promise too about screenwriting and and uh how how you make things funny and you know and whether it's stand-up comedy and telling a, a joke or uh whether you're writing a script uh can we talk about structure in, in terms of how do you structure that? Uh, how, how do you set something up, or, or, or what are the rules that uh, you you need to know that uh, ultimately you may go beyond, but what you need to know in order to, to uh, put more humor in your script or screenplay or in your stand-up review? It, 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 well, here's a fun improv. Here's a fun improv that involves some acting. Okay. You, you get all your characters, and you kind of write what they call a character Bible, and those are your rules rules for what these people think like what their childhood was what they do and now that you know these rules you kind of talk like the different guys give yourself permission to become this guy and then make them talk to that guy and then make them talk to the next and get them all talking and don't worry about who it looks crazy to you're you're at work right now not everyone understands everyone else's job that's not the way the world works it doesn't mean everyone else should stop doing their other jobs just because certain people don't grasp it. So uh, find a place, a safe place in your car. I don't care where. You know what's fun? Put a put a Bluetooth earpiece in and then just drive around talking to yourself. That's why I rehearse lines before auditions. Hey, he's not crazy. He's on the phone. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, 
and make your different guys talk to each other, and you'll find that you are really authentically becoming separate people because certain scripts, it doesn't. So haven't you seen certain scripts where or movies where the, everyone kind of sounds like they're the same guy? Sitcoms would have that. Everyone's the same glib wisecracker because it's all written by one guy or something like that. So when you can really break out and and individuate all these different separate characters, the best writing is everyone has a different rhythm. Each character goes at a different drumbeat, just because we. Just like real life, you and I talk at different speeds. We have different regions we were brought up in. We have we we agree on a lot of things, but the way we get about talking about it is different, and that's the cool separate sheet music for the individual. And everyone has a sort of they don't know it, but if you listen long enough and carefully, everyone has an odd beat poetry rhythm to the way they talk. And they like they like the way they put certain things, and they have ways they phrase things that they enjoy doing, and they want others to hear. That's my trademark way of saying stuff. And it's just about hearing that in others, really not judging it, but respecting it, honoring it, because you won't get it. You won't be a good writer, and you won't get it right to respect what they say. You don't you don't have to like it, by respecting it is really delve into it. Go quickly into finding out why it is the way it is. Then it won't look like a cheap surface paint job version of a characterization. Because you went in there, you know, and you give it the nuance that has the rest of those people. Really good writing is like you cared about all these people. They can do right or wrong in the storyline, but you cared about getting it right. You want it to look authentic and good and not crappy and hollow and fake. Your pride you, your pride is centered around how you nailed that. That's your sport. That's your goal. That's, what you, that's when you're tired, you're still the good tired from. Very cool. Um, it's, it's, a, it's fun. And they'll say things that crack you up. Your characters will surprise you. And you'll laugh. And you'll laugh because that's the first time you heard it too. And you better have that gadget running when you're doing that. Well, and it goes back originally to the notion of letting letting the kid out and and, and not being an adult censor and allowing for your imagination to, to take reign and take over and... and 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 give free license to these characters. Yeah. Yeah, don't start judging and shutting them down here. Well, you know, uh, uh, everyone has this trait in them, all the voices of the people recorded from their childhood on up. And they come out in different in different ways. And and if you're crazy, that trait comes out in you you know, you, you switch and you become Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, or you're bipolar, or something, all kinds of ways that cannot come out healthy. The, this is the single on earth healthiest outlet for that trait in us. It even pays. You're a sap not to use it. Um, it's our tribal dance. I mean, even the ancient cultures knew you, you, the guy would come out and he wears a mask that looks like a wolf. And the other dancers are pretending to be scared. Then they come with sticks and go after the wolf and all these different archetypes, you know. And it's just some old guy dancing around in front of kids. But he even knew I'm going to play these different parts because even these are parts of me. What I what I what I like so much is the fact that too often when you read a lot of screenplays, you find that all of the characters have just one voice they're they aren't differentiated they aren't unique they, there's nothing about them that's particularly memorable and the exercise that you prescribe is a means for finding that nuance and then making them different and then making them you know truly independent individual characters you're breathing life into them yeah and until then you got kind of cardboard 2D version of someone with a little 
Robert Smigel moving mouth hole, you know. Remember when Smigel would do those pop-ups on Conan? Oh, right, right, yeah. With the, there would be Clinton, but the out of the mouth would be Smigel's. He's a uh-huh. paste his mouth moving in the still photo. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it seems like some writing just makes someone do that. I'm just, I am just utilitarian biped. Here is information. Turn and leave. Oh, very cool. Yeah, you can so, do that, but I think the better writing is you just make them people. You'll, you'll. It, who do you want to be respected by? Some people they just want to write so they can get the house on sticks with a view. But I'd like other writers to nod to me. Oh man, peer respect to me is monumental. My dad was very respected by his peers. That really stuck in my head. Uh-huh. The look, that look on his face when he got it, you know, that really that was indelible to me. Mm-hmm. When so, someone who does what you do likes what you do, that's different. I love that other people love it. If they like it too, that's beautiful. I want it all. But it's come on. It's like when a ball player tells another ball player he loved the way he played the game, you know. Well, that guy knows. Well, and and it's also useful when you get feedback. If somebody who does what you do can say, you know, that sucked, uh, it's a voice to oftentimes listen to. You know, sometimes it comes I'll out. I'll take that note when a, when a peer tells me that. Because they yeah. won't do it generally. Right. These aren't petty, pointlessly petty people. They'll generally give you a note going, no, this is what you need to fix. And I'll yeah. go, oh, Thank you. Right. I couldn't see it from where I was, but exactly. All right. I owe you one, man. And you should pay it back. When they slip up, catch them. Don't let them walk around with the fly open, you know? Right. Well, We don't always catch everything. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say the important thing about feedback is to point it in a useful direction. It is one thing to just say, okay, that didn't work. But that just leaves a hole. Yeah, there's... There's different motives for giving a note to someone, but generally, if, you're, if your instincts are good, you, you know whose notes you take. Right. The person who doesn't have a, a, another agenda isn't jealous or doing it just to have superiority and power, but someone who really comes by and says, hey, just fix this one thing and shoots you a wink and go, oh, right, 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 thank you. Got it. And you go up and it works. The worst thing is it's like giving a, a young comic a bit. He's going, no, no, I give me my bit. <laughs> don't want, hey, don't correct me, old man, you know. And I go, oh, okay. And boy, boy, do I remember doing that. <laughs> I, I am that kid later. It's like, I'm like Doc Brown in a time machine. Marty, you got to trust me. This note will work. You know? um, yeah, sometimes I, I find myself talking to my younger me sometimes with kids. Wishing I could screech back in the DeLorean, flip the door open, and tell myself the note. But second best plan is tell this young young artist, whoever it is, you know. Right, right. At least get the note to them. Absolutely. Now, now I wanted to come back to something, though, and, 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 and that was what we started with in the beginning, the notion of, of switching hats and switching gears. Um, and I appreciate this so much, but I, I wanted to, to go back and ask uh, again, um, how, when you when let's say you are now off the uh, you know the funny script you're under the serious script and you've got to return to the funny script what do you do what switch do you make what what do you do how do you come back what how do you dive in and make that transition and then are there components that you routinely that 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 you utilize that that allow for uh, you to add humor into what you're doing when you're writing even the serious stuff should have some humor in it so it's it's not absolute exclusion of, of the brain hemisphere. You're still being creative. Mm-hmm. I, I just sort of, it's like energy sailing. When I'm exhausted of one thing, I just tack the other direction and start, and start zigzagging back the other way. It's like sailing. And uh, you you take, you go with the energy that's being manufactured by other greater circumstances, as opposed to going against it, which will just burn you out. Mm-hmm. It's understanding that these cycles occur inside you, inside your psyche, inside. It's like any kind of thing you do to sex is great till you're burnt. And suddenly the, the hormonal drive to do it shuts off, and then you, you stand in there like an idiot, you know? 
And Robin stand there like an idiot, immediately go to, I got other stuff to do, and then do that other stuff. You'd be great at because sex isn't getting in the way anymore. Mm-hmm. It'll come back. Believe me, you're going to burn out on that other stuff and want sex again. It's just the way one cycle loads and then the other loads. Day, night, tick-tock. And uh, serious funny falls under those same headings. When you're making your serious people... Uh, you know, every now and then you sneak a little humor into the serious people to give them that other... People say that's the human touch. People cool. make a joke even in weird, tense times. Cool. And and how do you do that? That that would be the question. How do you sneak that humor? Well, into boy, you ever seen that done wrong where it's like way too glib for the circumstance? <laughs> you know? It's like the James Bond joke in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. The Austin Powers misplacement of a joke. Um, I think to do it right... If you read your Bible and your character and remember what they're doing, mm-hmm. how much could you joke in that situation? Have you ever been in like a really bad setting or something really weird and dangerous and you still made a joke? Ever? Sometimes it's just a, the tiniest little nervous, breathy statement you made. And often the joke in the, in the deepest crisis is you don't say it to yourself. That one drives me crazy. When you say the clever joke to yourself while you're turning the corner with a gun... I, I don't like that, but um, I, I like when someone else is nervous, and even though the lead is nervous, they say the joke to the other person to make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Then a joke is a heroic action that makes sense in a crisis. Uh, yeah, no, that, I, I understand that. That's cool, and it, and it makes sense to me. I, I, I guess I keep coming back to the, the idea of where do you find the joke? You know, I mean, and I know these are these are vague, you know, kind of questions. But I mean, oh, maybe I misunderstood the question. I'm sorry. I'm I'm given other details. You be more specific, and I'll see see if I can be more specific back. Uh, well, when it comes to making something funny, you know, when it, when it comes to doing that, what are there rules that you follow or a structure that you have in place? I mean, in other words, you can argue. I mean, screenwriting classes will say. You know, it's about story, it's about character, but but overall, it's also about structure. You know, how you structure your three-act uh, drama, or whether it's a three-act comedy or five-act or whatever it is. It's it's there's certain things in certain places. Well, comedy seems to have. You know, we talked about this before, like the rule of three. There's certain things that, for some reason, if you do it and you do it right, it's funny. Uh, you could do it that way and it wouldn't be funny so what is the difference that makes a difference how do you make something funny how do you write a, a, a funny screenplay what what do you how do you set up a, a joke and i and, and i don't have a specific example you know i mean we look at something like you know the old overused example of somebody slipping on a banana peel and, and people laugh and you go okay now in the, in the early silent days they would throw that in and you'd you'd, you'd see you know your protagonist coming down the street, you'd see the banana peel, and oops, you see him slip, and people would laugh. There was a way of of, of doing it. There's a procedure for making something funny. Um, in in screenwriting, how do you do that? How 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 do you write funny? How do you how do you does that make sense? How do, how do you yeah. write, how do you write comedy? I guess is the, is the question. You. Right, good comedy comes out of your characters and not out of your ability to make jokes. Okay, cool. In fact, one will one will almost ruin the other. Your joke writing ability, if it got rewarded early, it's like winning in Vegas your first time. It'll set up a bad skill set. Okay. Uh, that you'll have years of having to battle your ego, wanting to keep doing the old lucky trick over and over. But if you learn to respect the characters' voices first, you'll go to a greater level of joke nuance that has almost nothing recognizable in a normal joke structure except for some true thing that just we know and we laugh at. And a little bit of a timing piece put on top of it. And sometimes the, the joke is just the little kid stops, stares at dad, beat, goes back to eating. But based on the structure of what Dad was just making, Dad just had this giant paragraph of important stuff that the kid should have responded differently to, and the kid does that instead. That's the joke. That's the laugh. And we've seen we've seen the example. 
uh, with, in, in lots of projects now, they play on the subtle nuance. They use the negative space. Uh, the office uses that a lot. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate more on that? So the idea. The negative space would be Michael comes in and says something that it doesn't read like a normal joke. You have to see how what's context is in the scene. But he'll say something like really uh, inappropriate, not the right place or time. And instead of in the old structure, I say something, you say something bigger back. Boom. The kid says something bigger. Bam. But now Michael comes in and says something. Dead silence. Uh-oh, looking back and forth, awkward eyes of all the other employees in the office as their jaws hang open. Long beat. Out. And that's the joke. The joke isn't its old traditional structure anymore now. People are starting, you know, to get... We get nuance savvy as it's presented to us. Mm-hmm. We lose it when it's no longer presented to us, but it is right now. And, you know, what we used to call funny and jokes, you can still get, but now it's like more... Christopher Guest had an enormous impact on the way we write humor. We're just still beginning to see its absorption into everything, but it's the it's the... The unjoke, where it's, it's like the, the the mockumentary format is not how clever you are; it's how clever you think you are, and you're blowing it. You're blowing it horribly, and you don't know. And Will Ferrell owns owns the. I think he and Fred Willard are masters of the male idiot, oh, yeah. which is a is a. A Jedi Master genius title. And it takes such brilliance to comprehend how to play the moron like that. To get all those, because it's funny because it's bold yet filled with nuance. And a lot of people, they just, they do bold and they leave out the nuance. All those little, I've been around a while, I studied this, little details that cinch the character and send it to a whole other place. So I can't give you a simple joke writing formula. No, and I, and I understand There's, that. It, I the jokes will be crappy if I do that. I I can't. I don't morally believe I I owe you I owe you what I think is the real thing, and that is you've got to. It takes a long time to get the other style, mm-hmm. and you can see the people that didn't take the time. And you see what their work looks like. But you also see the ones that did. Uh, I think that's an excellent, uh, you know, an absolutely valid point and something that, that does need to be pointed out. You know, I mean, it, it is, is, is you, you do your due diligence when it comes to this kind of thing. And it isn't about the fast track to, to being a, a comedy writer. You know, it's about uh, doing the work and, and, and letting it arise uh, in you and from you. Question: Let's go back to Christopher Guest a second and and elaborate on on. Can you can you describe more? Because that was that's a pretty uh, impactful statement that you know we're, we're we're like we're just now starting to get Christopher Guest because he's influenced you know comedy more or you know stuff more than that mock you style that broke yeah. all the rules. It's 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 like invest in show where generally a script is, you give me a ticking clock, and the most important thing in the world is that MacGuffin they're all chasing after at the end of the movie. We've got to get this thing, and they're all fighting to get this thing, and it's like all these objectifying movies where they need the object. And he, Christopher Guest, inverted that rule and subjectified it and just made it synthetic goalposts beginning and end and pure study the journey in between because in best in show the dog thing who cares what dog won no one could care less they didn't really and that was the least important part and it's the exact opposite of a normal movie where you know they're not finding the ark that you're you're just studying these weird quirky people and it trains you to study these nuances once you're trained to get these nuances you can be fed nuance at a higher rate and love it sooner now the taste is established so what we have is a world where that style makes it in when it's not a mockumentary anymore but still has that weird awkward hang hold style 
You know, I, I, I appreciate this, and, I, and I'm going to ask you about your influences in a second again, because, um, but I, I want to make a, a statement and, and uh, sort of a self-confession in that um, my ex-wife, when we were dating, she was a fine arts major and, and you know, who went into business as opposed to being an artist, um, you know, as a profession because she decided she wanted to eat. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I've heard of eating. Yes, I was up for that, but they went a different way. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But uh, and she didn't want to wear black and smell of formaldehyde and you know do do what you had to do. But but anyway, I you know, I'm with I, you. I at the time was very biased and very prejudiced. I go, art is art, and so much is crap, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and had all these different things. And you know, we'd go to a museum, and I would I'd walk in, and I go, okay, art. And she would walk up to these paintings and examine them or these sculptures and look at them, and then she'd step back and she'd do all this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And she'd say, well, you know, this person uses brush strokes in this way and that way, and they did this, and here's how they use the light. And I, and I, and you know, it took a while, but after after a while, I realized, you know, I have this big gestalt. Okay, everything in the room is art, good, bad, right, wrong, whatever. It's art. Okay, I've seen it. You know, don't bore me with it. But she would investigate it and look at the, the finer details. And, 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 and her point, she, she, I would show her things that people would sketch. And she would go, this is really great. This is art. And I go, it's just a stick drawing. And she go, no, no, no. This is, and, but she, and as much as I don't like her today, you know, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an ex-wife, uh, she really changed my view. In, in terms of art, I mean, I really owe her that, and I owe re- with other things as well. But and I'm being facetious, but but I really do owe her that, and and that she. You know, this me. is going out over the waves. Just want you to know that uh, she's she's gonna yeah, hear this, man. She's gonna hear it, but and, and that's okay. <laughs> she she can know that I appreciate the the, <laughs> the improvement in my taste in art as a result of her, because I've said it before. It's uh, a shout out. It's a thank you. Right, it is, but it, but I'm not saying it because of that. I'm saying it because at one time I just I just refused to look at things, and I, I see people now who are filmmakers, and they talk about whether they should go to school or go to college, or or not even filmmakers for that matter. And I and I make an argument for college, not because it's you know you should spend lots of money to do what everybody does because it you know blah blah blah, but because whether it's college or not, it, you need to be an educated person in the field that you. Are in so you look at the great artists in comedy, or you look at the great artists in film, and you look at the great influences in science, or you look at you know the, the designers and architects. But you study that, you, either whether you're self-taught or in a school, so that you learn the rules, so you can go beyond the rules, so you know what there is to break. When I looked at art and just said, okay, it's just this this big thing, I didn't realize there was all this other stuff to it that right, that right, right, could be learned and appreciated. The nuance to it, I guess, what what you're saying, and and so it it. It it really does. My, my, the least favorite word in the English language is the word behoove, but I'm going to use it. It behooves us to to. Um, Absolutely. No, no, know something about the thing you're doing. Yeah. But so, then, go ahead. Go beyond the fact that you know it. Don't ah. Oh, here's the thing. Don't honor the thing you're creating within to the point where you're honoring you stops you from going. It's like the kid has permission to go past the parent. Any style you're taught, I'd say labor under the assumption that you can take it a step further and give that to your give that to the culture you live in. Give yourself permission to say, "I can take this one step further." I'm not sure how I'll get there, but that's what every pioneer says. Very cool. So, so coming back to this, the pioneers. You know, you mentioned Christopher Guest and Jonathan Winters and, and some of them. Who, who for you, you know, beyond and Fred Willard, people like who are these people who that you've studied, that you look at, that you appreciate, that have been influential for you in in your development, your path. Um, maybe people that you appreciated or didn't appreciate that you now do, or something along those lines, um, because you you have. You know, an incredible, I think, a generous sense of, of of who and what's out there. You know, and you're and you and you're you're quick to give them a shout. You know, and give them credit. And and I think for other people listening and people who go, you know, I'm 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 interested in in developing my skill as a as a as a comedian or as an actor. But who who are some people that they might want to turn their attention to as as excellent examples of, of what is. Chris Guest is one of them, and um, 
you know, uh, they're as far as like if you're going to say what what filmmaker, what actor, what comedian, in which art do you mean, Rex? I would say save that again. I'm sorry, I couldn't. And and to to be more specific to the art form, uh-huh. uh huh. Give me an art form, and I'll give you a name. Well, well, let's go with comedians for now. I mean, we'll go with comedy and acting, and 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 uh, you know, or and Robin or, Williams, you know, uh-huh. improv uh, genius, you know, and. Uh, his his uh, his hero Jonathan Winters, and uh, there's there's new people doing it all the time. I, I, rather than specify names, I'll say entire casts. Okay, but, but let me let me stop you for a second because there's something. Yeah, you know, I used to in in presentation workshops and, and things. I would always tell people to watch comedians uh, in fast motion when I was teaching people how to do um, uh, public speaking. Or you watch Tony Robbins in fast motion, you know, uh, people who are, you know, professional animation speakers, and then go back and watch them in slow. And what you learn is their use of the stage and their use of movements in in terms of how, because it's hard to track things over real time because we get distracted. But if you watch it in fast motion, like if you watch Robin Williams, oftentimes you would see Robin come out and he would stand center stage and then he'll move a few feet forward and then he'll move back to center stage and then he'll move back to the back of the proscenium and then he'll move back to the front, to the middle and then the sides. And it seems, and, and, and whether it's absolutely accurate or not or whether this was in his mind, you would say, watch, now that you watch it, you see where he is. Now go back in slow motion and watch what he says in each of these spots. And you can find out that in, in many of the opening places, he gave really strong jokes in these different locations. It's kind of like places that, you know, he would set up where people would laugh. Oh, I see what you're saying. I don't even think in those terms myself. No, I know, I know, it is, you know what? I've never back. really, until you said that, I'd never really noticed that. You gave, you gave me a beauty to go look into. I'm going to go play a hundred YouTubes and check that out now. Oh. And, then, and then when you see him... In the That's game, very interesting. And Carlin was exquisite at this, you know, but the thing is that they would they would say something funny and get they laugh. That? They could say things that aren't so funny, but they would get the laugh because... Their body language, the place that they were in, the audience was already preconditioned to have a laugh. And so you, if you watch a movie, and I don't know that he organizes it consciously or thought it out ever in his life, but you can, you, if you watch different comedians, you can see you know, how they use the stage and where they get the bulk of their laughter from. And, and, it's, 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 uh, and Carlin, if you watch Carlin, how he always kind of leaned forward and his face would go into it and his body would, and his vocal tones were all very consistent when he would deliver his punchlines or as he would lead up to him and where he was on the stage. Yeah, the placement was very strategically arranged, I think, where he was a brilliant, brilliant man on every level and even in his strategies. He, uh, he knew where the the crowd energy was highly intuitive man too uh i i i haven't really taken note of where i put myself on stage when i go i kind of lose track of that entire thing i just keep going i get going and keep going and i i have to sort of look back on it later and realize where i wound up but i think that's true of, of good artists too and and by the way i got to tell you we got about 5 minutes here at the outside oh this thing went flew man did i just realized i'm going oh we're out of time um, oh boy but, uh, <laughs> we'll come back so uh, all right so, deal we're going to come back and we're going to talk more with rick on comedy and on on acting and on other things but but um i think that the artist when they're in it is like it's like you, you it's what i always tell people is if you if you're going to swim enjoy swimming then when you get out of the water you can analyze what you did but you know you got to be in it and enjoy it. When you're in it, you're doing it. You know, you're doing it. Your your whole being is involved in it. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that you you know would be trying to track it while you're in it because that that's kind of like uh, you know trying to figure out where you put your fingers if you're playing a concerto while you're playing it. You you you, you unconsciously your, your your body level, your mind skills are already there. It's second nature. Yeah, Bruce Lee said. Memorize everything and then forget it. Yeah. yeah. That was just get it out of your head. Now your muscles remember. Right. And once your muscles remember, you have a vocabulary you can play within. But play within it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Um, I I said we've got about five minutes, so we've got about four now. And uh, I want to um, give you two minutes. And I... 
I always feel reluctant to do that, but to, but to allow you to have the last two minutes to say anything that you'd like to, to, to finish up on in case in case there was something that I cut you off on or or if you want to just say anything to the audience. I... Well, um, <clears throat> I think it's important to, uh, I think improv comes in handy for everything, including in times of crisis that we live in now. Who hasn't been that broke college kid improvising how their apartment works? Well, we're back to being that broke college kid, but now we've got more stuff to fix. <laughs> so right. I'd say improv comes in handy everywhere right now. Get get good at improv, and you know, crisis is the is that necessity that we have to mother these inventions out of, and uh, and have fun because it's depressing times. And uh, why not fight depression by having fun? Awesome. I know it sounds simplistic, but I'm doing that, and it's working out. And you yeah. know, these I'm I got a pretty cheerful life, all told. So I'm I'm pretty happy about things. Oh, that's very cool. That that is really cool. It's good to hear you say that. You know, um, uh, what you just said though about improv, and and I, I think when when you learn a skill like that, where you're developing a facileness with your brain and being able to track different places. It, it could only, again, be a benefit when anything comes your way because no matter what you're thrown, if, if you've uh, already created like neural pathways for going down and, and looking for new and different ways to look at things, uh, you, you may very well find yourself a, a more efficient, more effective problem solver in, in any other walk of life. It doesn't fail you anywhere. There's zero, zero downside to it. You, you, it's stupid not to look into. For anyone. It it works it works in talking your way out of tickets, it works in business meetings, make them laugh and like you, you get the deal. It works in relationships to patch up a fight and, you know, make her laugh. She likes you again and back on track. And You know, I mean, I, it's, I'm sorry. I don't see the downside. No, that's very cool. That is, that it is has awesome. saved my bacon so many times, man. I'm like Neo, leaning back as all crises go flying over my head like bullets, you know. It's, uh, it's saved me. It is my friend. It'll be your friend. Well, that is excellent advice, and, and I have so enjoyed uh, chatting with you again today. We're going to do it again sometime in the near future. You and I will have to set that up and then let the listeners know. But uh, thank you again for your generosity with uh, me and my gut and my listeners and, and, the, and the friends of the show uh, and for sharing uh, what you do so well. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Rex, thank you, man. You uh, you run a great show, and I love just if we were pals just sitting at the breakfast diner talking, it would be, be the same talk, man. I just like talking with you. Absolutely. Likewise. Well, thanks so much, and uh, I'll be talking And by the way, we are pals. I just meant to say that. I mean, if we were breakfast pals, which we will right. be one day, because all the comedians right. must form a circle. That's right. Well, and uh, thank you so much. And, and I will talk to you in a few minutes so that we can talk about uh, setting up the next show. And uh, and uh, but I'll say goodbye now officially, and people can still find you uh, and dinner for schmucks and um, on the green room coming up and again on Showtime and uh, you got something that you want to say because I I don't have it in front of me. Oh um, yeah, I'm. Uh, Are you going to be? Oh yeah, no, I'm going to be uh, doing a show. If you're listening in. Uh, this Saturday at the Fake Gallery in uh, Hollywood, doing a show called Mind the Gap. Be a funny comedy show. So uh, come on down to the Fake this Saturday. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, again, thank you so much. Have a great day and a fabulous rest of the week. And uh, and you know, you and I will be talking. Uh, but thank you, Rick. I look forward to it, Rex. Thanks again, as always, buddy. All right, man. Bye. Again, thanks to Mr. Rick Overton for being here today and for the discussion that we had. And thank you, the listeners and the people in the chat room, Christopher and Gaffer Girls, Movie Angel, Vampire Mob, Vicky in Greece, and, and others whose names don't show up. But uh, thank you so much for being here. Go ahead and retweet them and, and uh, follow them on Facebook. 
support each other in, in, in whatever way you can. And please do support my guests by retweeting about the show today, leaving comments, making us a friend or a favorite right there at the, at the listening site, uh, uh, rating and reviewing the shows and the podcast. That, that is a, a wonderful way that you can support my guests and you can support uh, the show and me by helping us reach other people, your industry friends, your, uh, your family, you know, whoever you think might benefit from listening. Uh, my next up guest is Davis Bees and Phil Seneker. We're going to be talking about uh, Kickstarter. I've got lots of other great, fabulous, fantastic guests in the queue. And uh, I hope you'll join us again and again and again. You can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook Friends by uh, searching for that at Facebook. Or my profile is Rex Sykes on uh, Facebook. And my Twitter address is Rex Sykes Movie Beat. That last word is abbreviated B-T-R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S-M-O-V-I-E-B-T. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. And until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.